coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Charlie. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm Tyler, and with me today for a Thanksgiving edition of the podcast is my co-host, Charlie. And with all of our Thanksgiving travel plans, we weren't like 100% sure we were going to be able to get this show in, but we really wanted to make it happen as just a very small way to, to say thank you to all of you guys that support the Glory UGA Podcast. I know we all love our families, and Thanksgiving family time it's important to a lot of people. Charlie, you love Thanksgiving, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's a good time, right? But I also know that it's nice to be able to escape for a few minutes, so we wanted to make sure you guys had some content for your Thanksgiving Georgia football fix, especially if you are like me and you have to make those long Thanksgiving commutes. A little Georgia football talk can make that just at least a little bit more bearable. So here we are today to try to help you guys out a little bit this Thanksgiving. Uh, speaking of Thanksgiving family time, Charlie, what do you have on tap this week? Are you actually going? I know a lot of people that I know are actually not even doing Thanksgiving this year because of COVID, which I get. I totally respect. Are you in that group? Or are you actually going to try to brave it? Um, I mean, I wouldn't be sad if we didn't do it because it's just so much work. So that's not a COVID thing. That sounds no, like just an every Thanksgiving I thing. Yeah, I thought you just said you like Thanksgiving. I do. But Were you even so listening to me work. earlier? Yes, but it's so much work. Uh, and I don't even do most of the cooking. I still find it exhausting. Well, just the family's exhausting? I the mean, process? isn't everyone's family exhausting? I think when you're our age, the answer is you love them, but yes, yeah, exhausting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we're going to do it outside with my parents and small family gathering. It's like nine people, but outside because okay. the old people, old people. And then we don't want to, yeah, we don't want to co-mingle. Co-mingling with other households is not allowed. Yeah. So they say. Yeah. But you gotta, you gotta respect the rules, right? But you got kids with health conditions. You know, yeah, I mean, yeah. At this point we're getting so, like, maybe, I mean, I know we're, that's what this third surge, but there is a light there of the tunnel in a couple of months once the vaccine gets out and enough people take it, at least hopefully. So I guess we just got to like tough it out for a couple more months. But Yeah. I've, Better safe than sorry. I have two different Thanksgivings to go to. We're going to try to make it as short and safe and socially distanced as possible, which might hurt some feelings. Uh, that's but, the problem. Yeah. Like, if not everybody agrees on protocols. And, yeah, that's where it gets uncomfortable because I find myself just like, backing away and people just keep walking at me i'm like you're making me uncomfortable i'm doing I, i'm not worried about myself you're like 75 so but shouldn't they be able to choose for themselves if Thanksgiving is that important to them let them yes, have their but Thanksgiving. I think some people that i will see forget that i am around a lot of people because of my job yeah so there's a potential yeah. for me to have it which i don't think that i do i have no symptoms and i don't get near anyone well, I don't know you if you've know. heard, there's, feet, there is such a thing minutes. as asymptomatic right. carriers. Six feet, 15 minutes, you just got to avoid So a 15-minute Thanksgiving? I You're mean, eating fast. <laughs> Slam, bam, thank you, man, let's go. six feet. No, my mother sets up a table for my husband and I away from everyone else, and we look like we're being punished. Maybe she just doesn't I like you that much? I, I mean, is, is this like her perfect excuse just to get you away? I wouldn't be shocked. I mean... I love my family dearly, but we're, we're a strange bunch. So, you know, yeah. it's like everyone's being punished on your own little yeah. island. 
And I, I will be like a part. Like, obviously, you want to make sure everyone else is safe, of course. But there's a little bit of selfishness in this with me as well. I'm not gonna lie. I don't want to get COVID, not because I'm afraid I'm gonna die from it, because I'm youngish, relatively healthy, don't have any pre-existing conditions. You never can't never. You can never say never. But who wants to be stuck at home for two right. weeks? I like this is my prime running time. Like. I, I like you guys know. I, I mentioned this. I, oh, I, let's not talk about I know, running. I know. I know. You, I, how's I your back? Move. I know this it's is bad. Sciatica. Anybody have it? Anybody? You. Give you. Me good okay. Self diagnose sciatica. Well, I mean, yeah. I'm not. I went to the acupuncturist. Seems yeah, I, that scares better. me to death. Lots of you're braver um, than I am. Stretching and hanging over the chair because that's the only way you can like, other than a handstand. Wait, I, I'm picturing this. You're in your home. There's a chair and you're hanging over it. I, you have to decompress your spine. You so you're hanging over a chair. Yeah. That sounds terrible. You have to get the weight off of your back. Okay, I'm going to take your word for it. Actually, I've had sciatic. I know it's terrible. I mean, I'm not going to go out and buy I've, an I mean, you're decompress. Yes, you have to decompress your spine. But like, I don't think I've ever laid over a chair. By bed, yes. Chair? Does it not tip, o- tip over? No. Huh. Balancing. Balancing. I was a gymnast. Yeah. I can balance. Okay. Yeah, you were a gymnast like 28 years ago. It wasn't that long ago. I mean, kind of was, <laughs> wasn't it? How? I don't want to do that math because it's going to be depressing. Wait, okay, when did you stop being no, a gymnast? No, it would not be 28 years ago. Like when you were like... It was like 20 years ago. Oh, wow. Oh, but you still retained the balance from all those 20 years ago. But I hope your back feels better soon. I really do. But yeah, I mean, this is great running weather, and I don't want to like not be able to do that. That would suck. Uh, I also would like to be able to go to work and make a living, do all those things. So yeah, Thanksgiving, uh, it's always kind of a, a fun slash exhausting time. This year, it's just going to be a little bit more strange and weird and exhausting. But whatever you guys are doing, we hope you guys stay safe and have a great Thanksgiving. And we, we do have a lot to get to. Speaking of Thanksgiving, in that spirit, I do want to make sure all of you loyal listeners know that all of us here at the Glory UJ Podcast, myself, Charlie, Curtis, we are sincerely thankful for each and every one of you guys. You are the reason that we still have this podcast. We've made that clear many different times and just want to make sure you guys know how much we appreciate all of your support. So thank you guys for everything. Again, have a safe, awesome Thanksgiving. And uh, we'll have you guys covered with, with your Georgia football content. But with that said, let's go ahead and move into the actual football talk, which I know is why each and every one of you tuned in today. But I do want to be forthright from the outside here with our holiday schedules. This is going to be a little bit of a condensed preview show for this South Carolina game because I do have to get out of here and get on the road in about half an hour or so. And today we're actually going to start with the leftover mailbag questions that we did not get to on the mailbag episode earlier in the week. And then after that, we will move into what's going to be a little bit of an abbreviated South Carolina game preview. Honestly, with the it's partly Thanksgiving, but also partly all the uncertainty around whether or not this game is going to be played, really whether any game is ever going to be played the rest of this year. Because uh, South Carolina's numbers, they're pretty low right now. So we, we're not sure. I mean, hope it's played, but we don't know for sure if it's going to be played with the numbers issues within the Gamecock program. So with that in mind, I didn't want to invest a ton of time into preparing for that and then have the game postponed, which is exactly what happened with the Missouri game. Put about... 10 to 12 hours into prepping for that show, and then, oh, yeah, Missouri game gets postponed. So I didn't want that to happen again with all the other things going on this week. But we are going to preview that game with our 3-2-1 segment after we get through all the questions today. But, Charlie, let's go ahead and uh, let's empty out the mailbag. What you got for me? All right. First question is from Emery Dave. He asks, should we expect great rushing yards when the box is loaded and our line is outnumbered? I feel like that's obvious, but give us some more info. 
Yeah, that's a great question, Emory Dave. I really appreciate that question, man. And to answer it quite simply, no, you can't consistently expect great rushing yard totals against SEC caliber opponents when they are loading the box. I'm not saying you can't have success in a game here or there because you break one out, you get to the second level. Because once you break that first line of defense, if they got a bunch of guys in the box, well, there's not as many guys in the secondary there at the second and third level, so you can break those long runs. But you're not going to consistently game in and game out, be able to run for big-time yards against SEC-caliber teams when they have you outnumbered in the box. Now, when you're playing the Austin Peas of the world, then sure, yeah, you can still run the ball against them because you just outman them physically. But that's not going to consistently be the case in the SEC. Now, there are some things you can do to counteract the defense that's trying to get those bodies in the box and outnumber you in the box. It, there's some things you can do to counteract that and still run the ball successfully. For, for instance, the quarterback run game has become a big part of that for a lot of teams around the country. Whether you're using quarterback power, where your running back becomes a lead blocker, you get, you get a plus one scenario there. Or if you're using a quarterback with a zone read type game where you're optioning off a defender, whether it's your backside defensive end. Nowadays, you can do the frontside defensive end. You even do defensive tackles. The RPO game has certainly allowed teams to be even more creative in how they're optioning off defenders. And basically, when I say optioning off defenders, what I mean by that is you're taking a defender out of the play without having to block him, without having to take one of your finite resources and having to dedicate that resource to blocking that guy, which means you get a plus one scenario. You're taking one defender out of the equation, which means you can add that blocker who would normally be assigned to block that defender, and he is inserted somewhere else in the game. That's how you counteract a loaded box and, and when defenses are trying to outnumber the offense in the run game. That's how you do it. But we haven't had that. We have not had a quarterback run game. I, mean, I guess we had Justin Fields for <laughs> a season, but we didn't use him like that, not consistently enough. And that's been an issue for us. I mean, think back to last year especially. Think about how many times the backside defensive end would just crash down and destroy our run game in the backfield before we even got a chance to get it going. And that's because we have no quarterback that's even remotely been a threat to run the football. And there are other ways to kind of counteract the, the loaded box other than having that mobile quarterback. You can certainly just diagnose where the, the defensive bodies are going to be coming from, where they're going to be, so that you can get into the right run play. You can get the run play in the right direction. That's an area where we have been really good. Jake Fromm excelled there. I mean, how many times have you heard Kirby talk about how Jake was able to get us into the right play, right? Get us into the right run play. Well, I know that we kind of people kind of scoff at that, say, "Oh, I don't care. We want somebody who's dynamic." And of course, we want a quarterback who's dynamic and can get you in the right play. But Jake did a really good job getting us in the right play. It's one of the reasons that we were so dynamic in the run game in 2017. Of course, having Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle doesn't hurt. But the fact is, you're not even if you have the quarterback run game, even if you have a quarterback that can diagnose where the bodies are going to be and can get you in the right run play, you're just not going to consistently be able to run the ball when you're outnumbered in the box against SEC opponents. The true fix for that is to be able to throw them out of it. You have to be able to win with the passing game. We were able to do enough of that in 2017 and more of it in 2018, but when we had all the receivers go down in 2019, when we had guys like Miko Harbin and Riley Ridley decide to declare early for the NFL draft, we just weren't able to do that, especially the second half of 2019, once you have Lawrence Cager go down. And George Pickens, yeah, we had George Pickens, but he was still learning and growing on the job. There, He wasn't ready to be that guy at that point in the season. So we just were simply not able to throw teams out of those looks. Jake Fromm did a lot of really good things for us, but he was not the kind of guy that was able to put a team on his back and go out there and win games for you without great talent around it. Like when, when you have Terry Godwin and Riley Ridley and Javon Wims and Miko Harbin around you and Isaac Nauta around you, 
yeah, you you can you can throw teams out of that enough. We still weren't dynamic in the passing game, but we were good enough to threaten teams with the passing game with those guys. But once those guys are gone, you have Lawrence Cager who goes out. You have a young George Pickens and basically very little else around him. You got I mean, think of how much we saw Matt Landers last year. You have Kyrus Jackson, who's a good receiver, was playing out of position last year. Then all of a sudden. We are not remotely threatening anybody with a passing game. You have a team like South Carolina, who we're going to talk about later today, that was able to beat us by very simply playing man-free coverage and playing press man on the outside and just eating our receivers alive. They could not get off that press man coverage. From had nowhere to go with the football, and we ended up losing a game to a team that we had no business losing to, which ultimately cost us a cultural playoff spot. And that's because we simply were not able to throw them out of those stack boxes, the press man, man-free coverage. We just couldn't do it. And this is exactly what has me so encouraged about JT Daniels and his emergence against Mississippi State. I fully recognize, guys, I'm not an idiot. I recognize that it was just one game. And I do not like to draw definitive conclusions off one game, typically speaking. But, I mean, I think I saw enough from JT in that game because he was able to make State pay for trying to outnumber us in the box in a way that no quarterback has done since really Aaron Murray. I mean, that was our first 400-yard passing game from a quarterback since 2013, guys, since Aaron Murray in 2013. And, and let's not forget, like going back to those offenses with Aaron Murray, I know Aaron Murray's got a lot of heat, which I always thought was crazy when he was here, like he couldn't win the big game, right? And like, whatever, Aaron Murray was the best quarterback we've had in a long time. Uh, but let's not forget, those were the best offenses in Georgia history. Yeah, we had Todd Gurley and guys like that, that certainly helped. I mean, Gurley was, I mean, probably the best Georgia football player I've seen in my own eyes uh, since I've been watching Georgia football. I'm not saying he's the best player ever because I haven't been around that long, but you guys know if you've been listening to the show back to when we first started in 2014-15, I've said many times Todd Gurley is the best that I have seen with my own two eyes at the college level in a Georgia uniform. So we had guys like that that certainly helped, but what made those offenses so dynamic, what made them record-breaking offenses for Georgia was that defenses could not consistently load the box against us to take away the run, to take away guys like Keith Marshall and Todd Gurley because we had Aaron Murray back there who could make teams pay when they tried to do that. So it was very difficult to defend our offenses because we could run the ball. We could throw the ball with equal consistency. And, And that's what balance is, guys. Like balance, there's a misnomer out there about what balance means. Balance is not about being 50% 50% run, 50% pass. Striving for that game in and game out, that is fool's gold. Balance is being able to do whatever you have to do in a given game to counteract the way defenses are defending you in that game. Like You don't have to throw for 400 yards every game like JT Daniels did against Mississippi State. But what you have to be able to do is throw for 400 yards if you were playing a team that's playing you almost exclusively with man-free and zero-coverage looks in order to get more bodies in the box. You have to be able to do that to throw them out of those looks to open up your run game. And on the flip side, like you don't have to run the ball for 200, 300-plus yards every game, but you need to be able to do that if teams are going to go with nickel and dime packages to slow down your passing attack. Like Let's say, for instance, in this game against South Carolina, I don't think they're going to do this because they have no DBs right now as it is. But let's say they saw what we were able to do with JT Daniels in our vertical passing game, Jermaine Burton, George Pickens, Kyrus Jackson, those guys. And they're like, whoa, we've, we've got to take that away from them. So if they come out on Saturday and they're playing with, with five and six DBs out there from the get-go, then yeah, we have to be able to turn the run game and run for 200, 300 yards to get them out of those looks. And then once we get them out of those looks and they start bringing guys in the box, then we have to be able to make them pay with the passing game. That's what balance is, being able to do whatever you have to do 
to win in any given game. And that's why, in my opinion, one of the reasons, there's many reasons why Mississippi State has struggled all year, but one of the reasons they struggled so much so far this year is that they can't and they flat out aren't willing to run the ball. That's just not something Mike Leach is going to do. And I, and I love their scheme for the most part. There's a lot of elements of that scheme that I think are fantastic that really revolutionized offensive football, both at the college and the NFL level, and heck, at the high school level as well. There's a lot of great things about the offense. One of the things that I don't love about what Mike Leach does in his pure area system is I don't like the fact that he just doesn't run the football. Now, there are some of his his disciples, guys like Graham Harrell, Cliff Kingsbury, that was certainly, they're willing to run the ball more than Mike Leach is. I think they realize you've got to be able to be balanced when they, when they give you those those uh, rush three, drop eight looks, you've got to be able to run the football. So, but, but with, with Mississippi State and Mike Leach, when teams rush three and drop eight with 60 DBs on the field, their offense doesn't function like it needs to because they aren't willing to take what the defense is giving them. Now, they, I guess you can say, well, their short passing game is an extension of the run game. And on some level it is, but you still have to be able to run the football and they just can't and flat out won't do it. But to go back to the original question to, to wrap it all up, yeah, absolutely. I agree with you, Emory Dave. You can't expect from the football. I know people get all up in arms. Oh my God, we only ran for what 33 yards with our three running backs. If you take out the sack yards, we've got to, we have to be able to do better than that against I mean, Mississippi State. Like, what are we doing? Well, first off, Mississippi State's defense. I know they were they were kind of undermanned, losing, missing some guys. It's still statistically the best defense that we have faced. They were doing some things that we had not seen really much on tape. We hadn't seen any other game this year. Playing basically like a three-three-five look. They were stunning heavily up front. They were bringing a lot of pressure from different spots, and they were really just making it difficult for our offensive line. And I don't use that as an excuse, so there are plenty of times where our guys just got whipped up from. That clearly happened, but it was more than just that. But like, yeah, when you have teams that are stacking the box and outmanning you or outnumbering you in the box, you're not going to be able to consistently dominate the run game. And think about the guys that we had last year in that offensive line. I think we had two first-round offensive tackles, and we still had trouble running the football consistently uh, at least as efficiently as we had in the past, because it doesn't matter how good your guys are. If there are more defenders in the box than there are blockers, you're not going to be able to consistently run the football with a lot of success. You have to have answers to that. And the answer could be a mobile quarterback, which we have not have, and we don't really have. I guess you have Dwan Mathis, but he's not ready to do anything with his arm right now. Or you have to have a guy like JT Daniels, who's able to actually threaten teams vertically capitalize on those opportunities in a way that Stetson Bennett was not able to and throw teams out of those looks. You have to have a guy like that. And again, that's why the primary reason I'm so excited about JT Daniels is, look, we're just going to run the football, guys. That's still what we're going to do. But we also have got to make teams pay for trying to take that away. And JT Daniels, I think, gives us that at least through one game. All right, next up, Guy asks, what's our current status with the remaining high-end recruiting targets, specifically at running back? And have these defensive performances changed the likelihood that Coach Lanning leaves for a head coach head coaching position this offseason? Well, running back right now, we have Lavoisier Carroll committed at the IMG Academy. I think he's going to be a really good running back. I think he's slightly underrated. Great speed. I mean, this guy is a home run hitter at running back, which gives us something maybe we don't have right now on the roster with that speed at that position. And I think there's a chance he's the only running back we take in this class. That's not a done deal, but I do know from people around the program that we, this year, and probably moving forward as a rule, are going to keep a couple of spots open with the transfer portal and the likelihood of this one-time penalty-free transfer rule being passed. We want to keep some spots open, a couple of spots open each class to be able to go in and take some impact guys at positions of need. So there's a chance we might just be good with one running back in Lavoisier Carroll. That also depends on 
what some of the upperclassmen at that position do. What does Zeus do? What does James Cook do? Do both those guys come back? Do one of them, both of them try to go to the NFL draft? Do one or both of them try to transfer? I don't know what that situation is going to look like. I think Zeus will probably be back if I had to guess James Cook. I'll probably lean towards him being back, but I wouldn't be shocked. I mean, I don't want to like start some rumor, but I'm just, you know, just looking at it here with how he hasn't necessarily always been used to his maximum ability. And I think we have used him more so in that regard this year, but it wouldn't shock me to see him transfer out, try to go someplace where he can get become, I guess, become more of a feature back. But there's a chance that both those guys come back. If they both come back and you got Kenny McIntosh coming back, you got Kendall Milton coming back, you got Dejan Edwards coming back, well, I mean, we might just take one guy. Now, if one or two of those guys leave for whatever reason, then I think you start looking at potentially taking a second running back. And if we do take a second running back, I think that guy would be Domin Edwards from uh, West Bloomfield, Michigan. He's 36 nationally in the 247 composite, borderline five-star guy. I think he's the best running back in this class, at least of the guys that I've watched their tape. I haven't seen every running back's tape, but the guys that I've watched, I think he's he's certainly up there. Right now, the crystal ball 247 has him as a 90% lean towards Michigan, but you know we're certainly in that conversation. And if Michigan keeps face planning, like they almost lost to Rutgers on Saturday. I'm glad they didn't because I was able to win a little bit of money on that, thank God. But they almost lost that game. That would have put them at, what, 1-4 to start the season. So now they're at 2-3. and three. If they keep face planning and, and let's say Jim Harbaugh loses his job, there's a chance that he might be looking elsewhere. So I think we're certainly still in it for him. I wouldn't call us the leader, but we're in it for him. And I, I think he might be one of those guys, the caliber of running back. If he wants to come here, if he calls the coach up, he's like, hey, guys, I'm ready to commit to the University of Georgia. I think you probably take him. You make room for him. But if you don't get him, I don't think you you don't reach for a guy this year. There's no need for that unless we have some some attrition at that position. And right now, I just don't think that we're going to. But Edwards is probably the only guy I would take, to be honest with you. And the second part of that question, does it change likelihood that Coach Lanning leaves for a head coach position this offseason? Like I, I know there was some conversation about the Memphis job last year. I don't know if Lanning is in contention for a big time head coaching job yet. I think look, I don't I don't know for sure, but I think there's a chance that given that Kirby Smart is his his mentor, that he would probably wait for a better job. And I don't know if he's in line right now for one of those bigger power five jobs. I think he realizes that if he puts in a couple more years in Athens and we keep winning like we have been pretty consistently and he does a good job, our defenses keep performing at a high level then he's going to be in line in a couple years for a job, a big-time job, like Kirby Smart got. So I think he's smart enough to understand that. So I don't think he was going to really leave this year anyway. And uh, I know people are down about the performances against Florida and Alabama, and I get that. I'm frustrated with that too. But there are some there's some insinuating circumstances against Florida, obviously, with some of the injuries. But the Alabama game, I mean, look, Alabama is really, really good. And I know that we could have done some things a little bit differently at times in that game, but at some point, like they just have better players. Like you, when, when you get the receivers out there making plays that they've got. When, as we've said all all year long, that the game has favored offensive play over the past decade or so. Like it, things are just tilted in favor of the offense. And think about the Alabama game, Alabama game, guys. Like we were in position defensively most of that game. We just didn't consistently make plays. I mean, you've got a touchdown in the end zone. Eric Stokes was right there with Devontae Smith. Just didn't make the play. You've got Tyson Campbell there with Jalen Waddle. He falls down. Like that's not necessarily on the defensive coordinator. Sometimes guys have to just go out there and make plays. You can put them in position, but they got to make plays. And sometimes the other guy just makes the plays over you, and they're just a little bit better. And I think that was what the case against Alabama, Florida. I mean, they had a really good scheme. 
We had some guys that were injured in that game and we didn't make plays that were there. Some of that was poor eye discipline. So some of that certainly is on the coaching staff, but I still am very high on what Dan Lanning has done and what he's going to continue to do here in Athens. But yeah, I think if there was a chance that he was going to leave, which I don't think was a strong likelihood, I think, yeah, it probably improves the chances that he comes back this year. All right. Trey says he despises the Big Ten in Ohio State even before Fields transferred there to become a Buckeye more than any of his rivals. He says that the Big Ten, along with Notre Dame, always seem to cause problems for the SEC and college football in general. Is he alone in his thinking? I don't know if you're alone in your thinking. I, I don't view it that way. I don't like the Big Ten. I don't like Notre Dame. Although, after that trip up there, I do. I don't hate them as much as I used to as people were good to us up there. But I still have no love lost in Notre Dame. So I don't like them, of course. I mean, I, I, I cheer like everyone else when Ohio State loses, when Michigan loses, and, you know, all those things. But I don't hate them more than I hate our rivals. Do you, Charlie? Like, do you hate them more than Florida or no. Auburn, Tech? No. If Urban Meyer was still there, like Ohio State, maybe. You even, okay. I just really don't like him. Yeah, but you hate him more than you hate Florida? I, I mean, that's okay. I, I just don't. Like, I don't, I don't like know. Urban Meyer. Like he's yeah, a yeah, I don't know. He's a trash human being, but okay. Well, let's turn it down. Well, he is. Yeah, that's that's essentially what you're saying without saying that. I mean, I don't care for him. That's exactly what you're saying without using that word, which is not even a bad word. Come on, don't give me that. Don't give me I'm that. Just saying. Oh my, don't give me this. Oh, I'm so nice. No, I'm not. Well, we know I'm not. Yeah, nice. we know that. But like, no, I mean, I look. I'm with you, Trey. I. They do sometimes throw wrenches in our plans. Uh, I would actually throw Oklahoma in there. I mean, I know they're not in the Big Ten, but like they're the one the past couple of years that's gotten in over us, and I don't think they had any business getting in over us, but that's just me. And, of course, I'm a Georgia guy, so of course I'm going to say that. But I think objectively you can look at it and say, no, Georgia was better than Oklahoma in the past two years, and they got in. So I'm kind of frustrated with that. But, I, I mean, no, like, it, it's just it's not personal for me with them. Like, it, it frustrates me sometimes. It annoys me. I don't like them. It's fun to root against them. But with like Florida and Auburn and Tech for me, it's just personal, and I, I, and we live it every day. Like we're around those fans here in the southeast much more than we are fans of Michigan or Ohio State. I'm sure you might have that one random Ohio State fan or Notre Dame fan at the office. That's that's annoying. But think about it, we have a lot more Florida fans, and my boss is a Florida fan, and like it's very annoying. Cause like, when we're good, I can't really talk trash to him, but when they're good, of course. We're going to hear about it, which is you know frustrating at times. But it's all good. It's all good. It's all good fun, right? So no, I my hatred certainly lies for our rivals more so than teams from other conferences. But I, I see where you're coming from, and I can't begrudge you for that. I mean, it's college football. You feel how you want to feel, man. I'm sure you're not alone in this. I'm sure other people probably agree with you. I just I see that one a little bit differently. All right. Last question. William says, looking forward, Georgia has seemingly been trending in the wrong direction for the past two seasons. What percentage chance would you give South Carolina of surpassing Georgia in the next couple of years with a good coaching hire? Surpassing Georgia? Yeah. Oh, that's not going to happen. Like, what is the definition of a good hire? So, zero. I, okay, you know I don't like to speak in absolute. So, I would say 1%. That's not gonna, they're not going to surpass Georgia. I mean, we're first off, we have more recruiting advantage. We have just more natural advantages from a, a recruiting standpoint. With a more fertile recruiting ground, we also don't have an in-state rival like Clemson who is dominating us and has and probably doesn't look to be slowing down anytime soon. You're like little brother in your own state. That's not us. We are big brother in our state. Tech is not. It's like tech's like a speck in our existence. Like, are they even there? Can you see them? Um, so we have that advantage. We have a better university to sell, a, a better education. It's a better campus. It's a better state. 
the Atlanta is, I mean, I know Athens is not Atlanta, but Atlanta is still within close distance. So you have the job market there if you want to graduate afterwards and move into Atlanta. So like, I, I, we already have way more built-in advantages than South Carolina does. And plus, we have a massive head start on them. And just traditionally, I mean, look at the, the history of our program versus their program. I mean, they're historically one of the worst programs in, in the SEC, historically. I know they had a nice little run under, under Spurrier, but that was the that was the aberration when it comes to their program's history. So, like, we, we just have so many more built-in advantages. We're so far ahead of them right now. It would take, like, an urban – I mean, I, I hate to go Urban Meyer. They, they would have to ha- hire, like, Urban Meyer for that to register, for that to even come close to happening. Not Mike Bobo? Mike Bobo? No. Just, I'm just asking. I mean, is is Mike Bobo going to be the kind of heck? I mean, he failed at Colorado State. I mean, I don't know. I mean, he has more roots in the Southeast. Totally I'll give him culture that. Also. Yeah, and he he's more of a fit at South Carolina, but no, he they're not going to they're not going to surpass Georgia consistently under Mike Bobo. And look at the guys that they're that they're targeting right now. Shane Beamer, our former tight ends coach of a couple years ago. Like, what? Shane Beamer is going to change the game for them. Jeremy Chadwell. The coach at Coastal Carolina, I know they're having a nice year, but he's going to change the game for them. Scott Satterfield, the guy who was at Appalachian State at a program that was already built, and he uses that to become the head coach at Louisville, and they've fallen flat on their face this year. He's going to change the game for them. Like he's going to be able to out-recruit Kirby Smart. Those guys are going to get better players than Kirby Smart because that's what it's going to take, guys. They're going to have to, at some point, get better players than us to be able to consistently surpass us. And those guys are going to get I mean, those guys are talking about. And I didn't even, I didn't even mention Jeff Munkin, who has certainly been mentioned because apparently... Their president, South Carolina, was the guy who hired Jeff Munkin at Army uh, at West Point when he was there. So I've been talking about the triple options. Like, what? No. I just, again, I don't like to speak in absolutes. I don't think, I can't say there's zero chance, but I would say as small of a chance as there is in the world. That doesn't mean they can't beat us every now and then. They beat us last year. I get that. But to consistently surpass us as a program in the SEC East in that pecking order? No. That's just... That's so extraordinarily unlikely that I, I can hardly even consider it, to be honest with you. All right. Well, that's it for the mailbag questions, which means now it's time to transition into the South Carolina preview, where we're going to give you three reasons to be optimistic about Georgia's chances to leave Columbia with a win, two causes for concern, and one key to the game. So, Tyler, let's start by giving everyone three reasons to feel good about Georgia's chances in winning this one. I know everyone was really excited about JT Daniels throwing for 400-plus yards against Mississippi State. And, of course, we get on here the very next day and we're trying to temper expectations, saying, well, you know, like don't expect him to throw for 400 yards every time out because you got to do that, right? But he might do that again against South Carolina because, guys, this pass defense is atrocious. It's I don't not necessarily the worst in the SEC, but it's right up there. Coming to last week's game against Missouri, they were 12th in the SEC in passing defense, 13th in passing defense efficiency. They've given up an SEC high 18 passing touchdowns coming to that game against Missouri. Allowing they're right now allowing opposing quarterbacks to complete 67% of their passes. They're also worst in the SEC in the number of explosive pass plays they have surrendered. They've given up 37 passing plays of 20 plus yards. To kind of give you a comparison there, I know we've given up some big plays, right? To Florida, to the Alabama, obviously, but we still only given up 22 passing plays of 20 plus yards in the year. South Carolina's given up 37. And now they're coming to this game without the two cornerbacks, Israel McQuamu and JC Horn, that shut us down last year in press man coverage and the starting safety, RJ Roderick. I mean, this this passing defense is primed to be absolutely torched. If you thought there were issues that Mississippi State secondary, and there were some last week with some guys out. I mean, 
this defense is a shell of its former self, and its former self was absolutely terrible to begin with. So this is a, a passing game. If JT Daniels and our receivers can continue to build on what they did against Mississippi State, I mean, we are primed for another big-time passing attack here against South Carolina. And on top of that, they're also not a great pass rushing team. They only have 12 sacks on the year. So if you look at JT Daniels, one of the issues he might have right now, one of the weaknesses in his game might be that mobility. He certainly looked improved. He looked fine against Mississippi State in that regard. But he's still coming off that ACL injury. He still not, doesn't seem to be 100%. So if they were able to put some pressure on him, that might impact his ability to make some of those big plays down the field. That that just hasn't been something that they've been able to do on a consistent basis this year. And our offensive line has actually been pretty good in pass pro. I know we didn't get a lot of movement against Mississippi State, but we still protected Daniels for the most part well in that game with a few exceptions. So, I mean, if you just look at what they've been all year, the fact that they have three of their stars in the secondary goal, including their two top cornerbacks, and we've now got a quarterback that can actually weaponize our pass game. I think if we want to, we can put up some huge numbers in the passing game against South Carolina. All right, the second reason for optimism here would be that their offensive strength, which is clearly running the football, that plays right into our defensive strength. This is not one of those teams that's going to burn us to the air like Alabama and Florida did. They're averaging 162 rushing yards a game. They're second in the league in rushing touchdowns. Kevin Harris, their starting running back, is four yards a game behind Najee Harris from Alabama as the SEC's leading rusher. He is really, really good. He's averaging nearly six yards in the tip. And he's a, kind of a throwback running back. Honestly, I hate to say because I know we're playing this week. He's the kind of running back I grew up loving to watch. He's a big physical back that would just, he will just run you over, but also has good feet. Not great home run speed. He does not have that, but he's got good lateral agility, good feet. And he will flat out run you over in space in the hole. It doesn't matter. And even if he's not running you over, he's just tough to bring down. He's just a big, strong, physical back. Different than the kind of backs that we have faced this year. So they're really good running the football. That's Make no mistake about it. That is what they want to do. I mean, even from game one against Tennessee, Mike Bobo has really taken this offense back to, I don't want to say the Stone Age, but back to like the early 2000s. But they were having some decent success early in the year. I mean, they beat Auburn at home, right? But they've really kind of fallen off the past couple of weeks to the point that obviously their head coach got fired. But even though that's certainly their strength offensively, the thing is, that's our strength defensively, is stopping the run. We're still number one in the SEC in rush defense, giving up only 74 yards a game on the ground. And according to head coach Kirby Smart at his Monday press conference, there's a really good chance that we will also get back starting nose guard Jordan Davis for this game, which would be huge. Because honestly, like, this might have been one of those things. I don't, I don't know if I would have put, put it in the concern category, but facing this rushing attack and this offense with how they want to run the football right at you without our best run stopper in Jordan Davis, really the key to our rush defense, that would certainly be fairly concerning. But with him coming back, I still feel pretty good even with him not in the game because we still stop the run well, but we certainly are much better against the run with him in the game. And so if he's able to play this week, I think that really, really helps us out against what South Carolina likes to do it, it, offensively. I will give them credit, though. Like They are more committed to the run game than just about anyone else that we have faced, maybe with the exception of Kentucky. But they also, they haven't been really, they haven't been good in the passing game, don't get me wrong, but they're still more competent in the passing game than Kentucky. So there's a little bit more balance there than what you saw from Kentucky. And honestly, when we played Kentucky, I mean, yeah, Joey Gatewood starting, and it was his first start, and they just really didn't even bother trying to throw the football down the field at all. South Carolina, with Mike Bobo, will at least take some shots. They might not hit them, but they'll at least take some shots. You guys know that back to his days here, calling plays in Athens. So they are more committed to it than just about anyone else that we have faced. But still, this is strength versus strength. This is what they do well versus what we do well. And the thing is, they just don't really have a backup plan. They don't have 
a guy like JT Daniels, who I know it's a one-game sample size, but if someone can stop their run game, they don't have the quarterback to turn to to throw the ball down the field and make you pay and force you out of those looks. So I think that's something to certainly be optimistic about heading into this game. And then to kind of piggyback off that, my third reason for optimism would be that they don't have the passing game to give us issues. Again, just kind of going with that theme. They don't have the passing game right now to complement that running attack. If they did, then Will Muschamp would probably still be their head coach. It's likely going to be true freshman Luke Doty who's going to get his first start. He came in in relief of Colin Hill last week against Missouri. Played pretty much the entire second half. I think actually the entire second half. Went 14-23, 130 yards passing, zero touchdowns, one interception. Highly recruited guy for South Carolina. Top 100 guy. And he's a different kind of running back for them. He's listen, He was always listed as a pro-style guy, but he's always a very athletic guy coming out of high school. I would call, I don't know, maybe he's not a true dual threat, but he certainly has dual threat ability. He can actually move the pocket. He can make plays with his legs. He did that on Saturday against Missouri. So he's a guy that might have a different element to his game, but as a passer, he's not there yet, at least what the small sample size I've seen from him. And on top of that, Shai Smith, they're clearly their top receiver, really their only threat at receiver, to be honest with you. He's in concussion protocol. He got knocked out early in the game against Missouri and looked pretty rocked in that game. And there's a chance he could be ready to play. You just, with concussions, you just don't know. You don't know what the Greek concussion is. It's just tough to tell. But there's certainly a chance that he's not going to be ready to play in this game. And that would, I mean, so no Shai Smith potentially. True freshman quarterback getting his first start against our defense. I mean, that passing game, it's tough to imagine that it's going to be able to give us any sort of issues to comment that running attack. And if it is Colin Hill that they end up going with again this week, there's a chance that's possible. But he's been the guy that, you guys know the story, he followed Bobo from Colorado State, a couple of injuries he dealt with throughout his career. If it's him, like, he's fine. Like, he's okay. Like, he's smart, stable for the most part. But he is the antithesis of a game changer at quarterback. And he just hasn't been enough of a threat to beat teams through the air to complement that running game. And he's averaging 176 yards a game through the air, only 59% completion percentage, six touchdowns, six interceptions. Carolina fans have been wanting to uh, get him out of there for a long time. So I don't think it's going to be him. But if if something happens to Doty or if it's not working out and they go to Colin Hill, still, I don't think he jump starts a passing game because that hasn't been the case all year long. So those are my three reasons for optimism. All right, now this next part could be difficult because South Carolina has already fired Will Muschamp. So can you dig deep and give us two causes for concern in this game? Yeah, this is a challenge. Besides coronavirus. Yeah, that's true. But I I said the same thing last week. I said this was a challenge on the previous show last week going into the Mississippi State game, and then we had to get a, a late stop to hold on to win that game. So who knows? I mean, okay, so causes for concern. Again, it's kind of like Mississippi State. We are the better team. We should win this game. There's no reason we should even think about losing this game, but it's college football, and it's the era of COVID, and crazy things happen. The unexpected has become the rule now. But I just mentioned Luke Doty. So I don't think he's ready to beat us as a passer. I do not. But he, in my opinion, is a dual-threat guy, and dual-threat guys always concern me. And we have done a better job over the past couple years of containing these dual-threat guys, especially if they cannot really, if they're not true dual-threat guys. Because that's that's the thing. Like, when you see a guy that's a mobile quarterback, they're just automatically labeled dual-threat. But to me, like, you're not really a dual-threat unless you can actually beat teams with your arm. If you can do that air on the football, then yes, you're a true dual-threat. But if you can only run and you can't really throw it, then you're not really a true dual threat. How's that any different than the guy that can can beat you with his arm and can't beat you with his legs? Because you're still only beating somebody with one element of your game. So I'm not sure he's a true dual threat guy yet because I'm not sure he's there as a passer, but he's a mobile guy. He's an athletic quarterback. 
and that's going give to give them another added element to their offense. And we also don't have a ton of tape on him specifically and like what his strengths and weaknesses are, what his his tendencies are, his tells, things like that. And we also don't have really a ton of tape on their offense, generally speaking, with him as the starter. Um, and guys like him that, that can create productive plays when the defense wins, like when the defense calls the perfect play and you have the offense stop, but then you have a, a guy that can, can make plays with his legs at quarterback, those guys, they scare me. They, they always concern me. I do think he's a guy that has that ability. So that's certainly something to watch for here. And a, a, a running attack that's already as strong as it is. Yes, I feel really good about our rush defense, but when you throw a, a mobile quarterback into the equation, that just makes it more t- difficult to deal with because now you kind of have the plus one scenario there where they can use the running back as as a blocker for the quarterback in the run game, or you can just option off guys with a zone read and all those different kind of things. So it does give them an added element to their offense. And that's why they went to him in the second half because Colin Hill just, I mean, hasn't been able to do enough to spark the offense. So why not give this guy a chance? Your coach is fired anyway. Let's see what he can do. So he does give give them that added element. It's tough to prepare for him because you haven't seen a ton from him. I don't think he's ready to go out and beat our defense yet. But if you're looking for cause of concern, just the unknown there and the fact that he is able to do some things with his legs gives me at least a little bit of concern. And then the second cause for concern, and this is more psychological, actually it's entirely psychological, but it's just the kind of the nothing to lose element here. We don't know what to expect with South Carolina in this game. Again, you mentioned it, Charlie, their their head coach is gone. They have nothing to lose. They're not really going to do anything this year. They have a new coach in probably a couple of weeks. They're going to be undermanned from a numbers perspective and from a talent standpoint. We know that. But again, their coach is already fired. So what do they have to lose? They're going to go out there. I fully expect them to play loose, hang it all out there. I expect the kitchen sink to be thrown at us. Like, why not? Like, go for it on fourth down. Throw some trick plays out there. Do some onside kicks. Like, all those crazy things. I'm fully expecting that. Now, maybe Mike Bobo is conservative in nature, so maybe you don't see it as much. But like, why not, right? And don't underestimate how much they want to win this game, guys. Do not underestimate that. We were talking about rivals earlier in the show. Most of the people in our fan base and most of our players probably don't see them. Actually, I know they don't view South Carolina as a true rivalry. I mean, because we, we, we have so many. We got Florida, you got Tech, you got Auburn, you got Tennessee in there. And then I guess South Carolina is somewhere after that. So I don't think it's, it's certainly not high on our list of rivalries, if it's even a rivalry at all from our standpoint. But trust me, guys. The South Carolina fans, those players, they absolutely view this as a rivalry. I've been to Columbia for every game since I was 2008, probably since I graduated from college. Uh, And every time I go there, trust me, they want to win this football game. We are their biggest rival outside of Clemson. We are their biggest SEC rival. They want to beat us more than we want to beat them. And they take more satisfaction out of beating us than we take out of beating them. That's just the fact of the matter. They have a lot of guys from our state on that roster. A lot of those guys are guys that we didn't really recruit. And and they have some guys, obviously, we were recruiting as well. But a lot of them are guys that we didn't really take. They weren't takes for us. So that certainly has a little chip on their shoulder. They want to beat the home state team. Of course they do. And their fan base wants to win this game. So you can't underestimate that. So you kind of combine that with a nothing to lose element here. And that, that could potentially make for a dangerous team. Although even saying that, I just unless we play really, really poorly. Like they're just not on the same level as us from a talent standpoint. But they weren't last year either, guys. They weren't last year either. We're a different team this year. I get that. But they really weren't from a roster standpoint. They weren't on our level last year, and they still found a way to beat us. So, you know, just don't 
underestimate them is all I would say. Just don't go in there and underestimate them. All right. Well, to wrap it up, what is one key to a Bulldog victory over the Gamecocks on Saturday? Yeah, I got to get out of here in just a second, so I'll, I'll make this one short and sweet. We got to stop the run. Going back to what they do well, they run the football. That's what they do on offense. If they're running the ball with a lot of success, then this game could potentially get a little closer than we want it to. And then that's when, you know, it gets closer than we want it to. They start to believe and they start doing some trick plays, onside kicks. And before you know, like, oh my God, Georgia got upset by South Carolina for the second year in a row. There's no way on earth that should happen. But if we can stop the run, we stop any hope they have of winning this football game because they are simply not equipped to beat us in the passing game, especially if a true freshman starting at quarterback. And especially if Shy Smith, their really only true threat outside, if he doesn't play because he's in concussion protocol, they're not going to be able to be as clear. So if we stop the run, we stop this offense entirely, and we get out of Columbia with another win. That's it. Happy That's Thanksgiving. It. Happy Thanksgiving, guys. Thanks for listening. Hope this gave you a little, a little bit of a brief escape from all the Thanksgiving festivities. We will be back later on this week to wrap the entire week up with our picks of the week. But stay safe, guys. Have fun. Thanks for listening. For Charlie, I'm Tyler. And as always, go dog.